A couple weeks ago, Hannah and I were preparing to go on a cruise. If you've not been on one, I highly recommend it. You get a lot of time to relax. And so I looked through my bookshelf for a couple books to take with me on the cruise. And I'm not really big into a whole lot of novels and and, and whatnot. I have a lot of Christian faith-based books, church leadership books, some doctrine. And and there are some of those books that are just on my personal reading list versus like my, my work reading list. But I didn't want to risk turning on my work brain. I didn't want to be in the middle of something and be like, okay, now how do I take this back to the church? How do I preach this? How do I talk about this? I wanted to kind of just go and disconnect and, and to the best of my ability, just turn my brain off. So I looked through the bookshelf for something that was not really churchy, faith-based book to read. And I came across a pretty thick 300-page, good-sized book that my mom gave me a couple years ago of all about North Carolina-style barbecue. Man, that was a good book. It talked about the history of of barbecue in North Carolina. It talked about Eastern versus Piedmont style and the differences it gave, some some tips and tricks for cooking North Carolina-style barbecue. It talked about the sides that they recommend going with different versions of North Carolina-style barbecue. It talked about what drinks went with North Carolina-style barbecue, the desserts and some recipes. Man, I can't wait to try some of those out. It talked about the stories of some people who grew up smoking some North Carolina-style barbecue and, and starting their restaurants, how hard it was to open multiple locations. I mean, it went into great detail. It talked about what to look for if you're driving through North Carolina in a good North Carolina-style barbecue place. I'll give you a hint. This one's for free. Don't look for a place with an A rating from the health department. You cook with fire. You're not getting an A rating from the health department. You don't want a D either. But anyway, it was so good. But see, the reality is, whether it be barbecue or any other hobby or any other interest, there's a period of time where you can read, you can study, you can learn all about it. But if you really want to understand it at a whole nother level, you got to start doing it, right? So this week, I'm going to start building a pit in our backyard so I can start smoking North Carolina-style barbecue. Actually, maybe not. But like that, that's, that's what I have to start doing. If I really want to understand, if I really want to know then I got to start doing it myself. I got to start trying it and cooking it. And that's the same with any hobby, with any interest, with even faith. We can learn all day long. We can read scripture. We can read all the books. But until we start putting it into practice, we can only stay at a certain point in our faith. This hit me when, shortly after seminary. I was so excited when I was in high school. I decided to go into ministry, and I chose the Bible college that I wanted to go to. And I was so excited to go and learn all these deep truths about Scripture and about faith and about God. I mean, I, I had grown up in church. I had I had a pretty good foundation, but I kept hearing things from people about going deeper, about about deeper theology and and wanting to get into the deep truths of scripture. And I was like, well, there's something out there that I've not been exposed to yet. There's something out there that I still have to learn and to grow in. And I got to Bible college and and seminary and I thought, okay, maybe in this class, they're going to give us the secret to understanding all the deep truths of scripture. And I kept waiting for that. I had a lot of great professors and I kept waiting for the secret. And I guess in my mind, to some degree, it it was like this secret that no one else knew about, that they just made all the students swear never to actually tell the church, like, don't actually share this thing or they'll have no need for you as a preacher. They'll know the deep things of scripture. And I kept waiting for that and it never came. 
And yet I kept reading all of these great thinkers and theologians and, and people in church history who just had a rich knowledge and understanding of scripture. And I thought, how in the world? And then it finally hit me a couple years after that it wasn't just the knowledge piece, it was the practice piece. It was putting it into action. And every time I hear someone say now, I just want to go deeper. I want a, a deeper theology or doctrine in some kind of Bible study or whatever. Forget Bible study. Go do it. Right? Most of us have been around church long enough. We, we, know, what, we know what scripture says. We, we know the words in this page. Most of us have read this through maybe a time or two. We've been in church for many years. We've, we've heard enough sermons. But the only way to go deeper at a certain point, the only way to go deeper is to start putting into practice is to, to see God actually come through, is to see your trust and faith in God come back and, and understand why this book says what it does. And the only way that happens is when we actually take a step of faith and do what he asks us to do, regardless of how scary that might be. And that's where we're at today in the book of Ephesians. If you want to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we're going to hang out today. And I'll just give a brief overview as we've been in Ephesians for the last few weeks. We, Paul starts in writing this letter to the church in Ephesus by starting with the foundational truths of the gospel, of faith, of what Jesus Christ came to do in this world. And the first three chapters are all these really deep, rich theology statements that there's so much there. And then a couple of weeks ago, Josh Smith was here. And it turned a corner in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So, so therefore, because of everything in the first three chapters, because of what Christ did and everything, then, then walk according to your calling. And Josh went into what our calling is, and he walked, he walked us through chapter 4 where Paul explains the calling to which we've been called. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this in the first two verses, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, so, so therefore, therefore, because of the first three chapters and, and the cross and Jesus and who he is, therefore, because you've been called, because you've answered the call, we've, who accept Christ, we've been baptized, when we give our life, surrender our life to Christ, we have answered the calling he's put on our life, and therefore, walk in love. Walk in love. And Ephesians really could end here. This is the last point that Paul makes in the book of Ephesians. It goes on for a couple chapters, and everything from this point on till we get to the very ending when he says, greet so-and-so and greet this other person, and the, the ending, everything else is, comes back to this idea of walking in love and what walking in love really means. And so chapter 5, what we're going to do is we're, we're just going to kind of, we're going to skim through this pretty quickly. We, we could spend a few weeks on each one of these points. But I want to skim through these fairly quickly this morning, all at one time, for a couple reasons. One, I'm not sure I want to take 50 weeks to actually walk through each one of these, and we, we certainly could do that. But also, because we have, need to keep in mind the, the, the context of which Paul wrote this letter. And Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, and they found someone in the, in the community there who could read, which wasn't everybody, and they stood up and they read this letter through to the entire church in Ephesus. 
They didn't sit down and look at one section at a time and then the next section and, and, and the way we tend to study scripture today. And sometimes I think there is a beauty to just reading it through and getting the whole picture all at one time. And so what we're going to see as we walk through these is what Paul is trying to emphasize. It's not an exhaustive list, right? This is not everything it means to walk in love, but just a few of the points trying to get this main point across of walking in love, how it impacts every area and every relationship in our lives. Walking in love impacts everything. When we have surrendered our life to Christ, as we are walking according to the calling to which he's called us, it impacts everything. It impacts the way we live our lives, the way we think, the way we speak. It impacts every, impacts every relationship in our lives. It impacts everything. And so he begins in verse 3 with, with the first example of what it means to walk in love. And he says, but the sexual immorality and impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Walking in love means pursuing purity. Means pursuing purity. Uh, Paul expands on sexual immorality in other books, other letters that we have that he's written, and everything falls in this category of sexual immorality that's outside the biblical view of marriage. One husband, one wife. Right? Anything that's outside of those bounds falls into this category of sexual immorality. Two husbands, two wives, multiple husbands, multiple wives, and in, in, in one relationship. Right? Um, pornography affairs inviting someone else into your marriage, whether it is in real life or through a screen, falls in this category of sexual immorality. Playing house, playing husband and wife before you actually make that covenant, before you enter into that, that covenant of marriage, living together before you're married, falls into this category of sexual immorality. And Paul says, this shouldn't even be named around you. He includes, he includes greed here as a part. And I think so many times greed leads to sexual immorality wanting more, wanting things that we don't have. And walking in love also means that we cultivate contentment, right? Greed is so, so much more of a broad category, but it starts with a discontentment somewhere in our life. Let me ask you this question real quick. Um, how many of you have one of those Stanley mugs? That's all the rage going around. Come on. I know a few of you do. Okay. A couple people are being honest. How many of you have like 12 of them? Not 12. Okay, I saw someone line up all their, their pictures with all their, them, um, you know, they don't go here, but you know, I saw several pictures with all their Stanley mugs lined up there. Right? It all started because someone on a blog posted how much they loved it and how much it was great and it worked so wonderfully, right? And then this, this craze happened. Social media put so much stuff out there that fuels our discontent and fuels greed. And that should not be listed, named among the saints, Paul says. He goes on in verse 4. says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Right? Walking in love means giving thanks. Speaking thankfully for other people around you. I, <laughs> I struggle with this one. I hate this one. Just being honest. Sarcasm is like a second fluid language to me. I love being sarcastic, but I think that would fall in this category of what Paul's talking about. And I hate that it's not specifically mentioned, but remember, Paul's not trying to, to make an exhaustive list here. He's trying to give an idea of what it means to walk in love. But sarcasm, uh, crude joking, foolish talk, it breaks down unity among brothers and sisters in Christ. It builds up walls of division and divisiveness between us. 
And as Paul talked about in chapter 3, there's a unity among the believers, among the saints that we are to preserve and pursue with everything that we have. And sometimes our language gets in the way of that. Verse 18 says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the spirit. Walking in love means keeping a a clear mind, means keeping a clear mind. We have an enemy who is seeking opportunities to attack and destroy us. And when we cross that line and our thinking gets impaired, when we have too much alcohol, then who knows what we might be susceptible to. And so Paul says, don't even, don't give him an opportunity. Don't give him an opportunity for you to do something that you wouldn't do with a clear mind because we need to be on guard. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. And finally, we get down to verse 21 here. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Walking in love means submitting to one another. Now I want to pause here for just a moment. See, in our Bibles, in the Bible in front of you, it is translated by a translation committee. And that translation committee has put various section headings at various places in your text. Those section headings and what they say and where they are, Paul did not put in there. They're not in the original text. In fact, your chapter uh, divisions and your verse divisions, they're not in the original text here. Paul did not write, okay, now it's time for chapter four. Now it's time for chapter five. Here's a new verse here that was added around the year 1225 and finished up around the year 1550. And it was meant to be an aid so that I can open up and say, hey, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and we all know where we're starting. We can all start in the same place. And for that purpose, it's very, very helpful. But what it has ended up doing in our minds and in some of our doctrine and theology is put some divisions in places that Paul didn't intend for there to be a, a pause or a division. So if you look in chapter 5 at verse 21 in your bible there is either a new section heading right before verse 21 or right after it and so what we do then in our minds is saying okay this verse goes with the section above it or this verse goes with the section below it and what we have to try really hard to do is say no no Paul is trying to make a uniform statement here to the church in Ephesus that everything flows from one to the next to the next. And it's our job to try to understand Paul's flow of, of thought here, which is extremely difficult to do sometimes. Right? But, but every letter, if we're, if we're going to write a letter, most of the time we don't bounce from one place to another. You know, I say that, but sometimes it is hard to follow my wife's train of thought as she goes from one topic to another topic. And I wonder, how did you get from here to there to Z all of a sudden? And suddenly we're talking about fast food restaurants and I don't understand how we got there. But it connects for her. In her, in her mind, there, there was a connecting point. It flowed. It made sense. As human beings, we don't just go from this topic over here. It makes one cohesive thought. And so Paul is not stopping his, <clears throat> his points that he's trying to make about what it means to walk in love. Walking in love means submitting to one another. And what follows from this are three sets of examples. Three sets of examples of what it means to submit to one another. Now in each set, there's two. And the first one, in Paul's culture specifically, and still to some degree today, we look at the first one and be like, hmm. That makes sense. 
But the second one, especially in Paul's culture, would have been like, oh, wait a minute. Huh? And Paul has this pattern through these examples of what it means to submit to one another. The first one in verse 22 says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And in Paul's culture, they would have heard this as someone was reading it out loud from Paul's writing, from Paul's letter and said, yeah, that makes sense. Now in our world today, we read this word submit, this charge for wives to submit to their husband and it gives us a little bit of pause. We want a little further explanation. And so I just want to pop over real quick to John chapter 14, verse 31. And I think it helps us understand this a little bit more. John 14, 31, Jesus says, on the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the father, I do as the father commands me. So within the unity of God, we have God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. One is not less than the other. There's not a hierarchy within the Trinity of God. And yet the son, God, the son says about God, the father, that I do as the father commands me. There's a pretty strong language here. We could easily put in this word submit here, but it does not indicate any level of being less than or greater than within the people who who Jesus is talking about here. But what is, what does it indicate for Jesus? So that the world may know that I love the father. It's not a statement of superiority or inferiority. It's about love. And that's what we see happening in the book of Ephesians. When we flip back over the couple verses later, verse 25 says for husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. This is all about love, walking in love, submitting to each other, loving your spouse. This would have been the statement that Paul's audience would have been like, oh, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean? Greek language has several words for love. This is a this is the highest level of love. And so for this kind of love, love, Paul's audience would have heard this and been like, hey, hold up. This kind of love meant something very specific. And I think it's best summarized in a verse that I'm sure you've heard a few times. First Corinthians chapter 13 says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Could we use the word submit there, maybe? It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love is. And I have a working theory that has yet to prove wrong, that if a husband and wife are both pursuing Jesus, and a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church. I don't know of a wife who wouldn't be willing to submit to her husband. Without all the negative connotation behind that word, looking at this idea of submitting, of loving that we see laid out in scripture, it's a mutual submission. It's a mutual love that they share for each other. That one's a little bit easier for us to swallow and a little bit easier for us to process, but Paul has a couple more examples. Chapter 6, verse 1 in Ephesians says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And everybody here said, Amen. Amen, right? Children, obey your parents. That would have been the same response that Paul's audience had, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother for you to live long in the land that the Lord gave you. Right? This is, this is the expectation. 
But verse 4 says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, parents, this is how you also submit to your children. Now, it feels weird to put that word in there, doesn't it? But submitting to one another means also respecting, loving, submitting to your children. As parents, you have a job to do, parents, to raise your kids in the instruction and training of the Lord. Verse 5 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. We often draw the parallel from, from bond servant or, or slave to masters today as the employee-employer relationship. And this would have been one like employees, obey your, your employers. Absolutely. This makes sense. They tell you to do something, you do it. Now, Paul shifts the motivation here a little bit as you would Christ. But it's that same kind of principle, right? Obey your masters. And of course, absolutely. Verse 9, though, says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Masters, employers, treat your employees in the same way. You mean to tell me that there is some expectation of the employer, the boss, submitting to the employees. Paul's saying that walking in love impacts every area of our lives, every relationship in our lives. That there was not a single person when Christ was here who he saw as less than. Right? This isn't about a hierarchy. This is about serving people around us. This is about this commitment that we have made to follow Christ, that it com involves complete surrender of every aspect of our life because your calling to which you have been called is so much greater than anything in this world. This impacts everything. And if you're anything like me, there are probably a few areas in this list that you could do better. God's not looking for perfection tomorrow. Discipleship is a journey. He's looking for obedience in every area that you can give him today. Tomorrow you try again. Next moment you try again. We've had some amazing amazing baptisms in the last couple months here. When we have some students baptized, nothing thrill my heart more when they make that decision to follow Christ. But I've had conversations with the parents beforehand and I want parents to make sure they have these conversations with their kids. I want to, their, these students to know the decision, the gravity of this decision that they are making. You might notice after service when I, or after I, I finish preaching, when we talk about inviting anyone down for prayer or to talk about any decisions that they want to make, I, I'm not sure the best thing is just to have a moment where someone just gets caught up in a feeling and say, I want to give my life to Christ and just do it on the spot without considering the cost. Jesus says to count the cost before you follow him. And I feel a responsibility as a senior pastor. I think we have a responsibility as a church for whoever wants to give their life to Christ to make sure that they have counted the cost. Because it's not just about getting wet. It is about surrendering every aspect, our language, what we eat and drink, how we treat people. Our, our, it impacts everything. And if you've given your life to Christ, 
then he set that example on the cross. He lived a radically different life. He ate with people most of us would not consider eating with. He treated people with an insane amount of kindness. He submitted to God the Father in heaven. And I think there are probably a few ways that we could see that Jesus even submitted to people around him in this world. Church, this impacts everything. You gotta start walking the walk. There gets a point that we've heard enough sermons. We should always keep reading scripture, but we gotta start walking the walk. It's gotta start impacting every area of our life. And until it does, we won't be able to know God to the fullest that we can in this world. But only when we start putting all this into action, we start seeing God come through in amazing ways. We start experiencing God in new ways. That it is a breath of fresh air. That we start to understand scripture in a whole new way. But that means we start have to start surrendering and start walking the walk. Father God, I am so grateful for your word that you have given us. And I'm so grateful for the way that we get to experience you when we start living out what you have asked us to do. Lord, the way that our trust in you grows, the way that our understanding of you grows, the way that we see even the Old Testament and the New Testament work together, the, the seemingly deep truths of scripture seem to just reveal themselves and be known when we start to walk with you and surrender more aspects of our lives to you. And so God, I say thank you. And I pray on behalf of my heart and the heart of everyone here that we will have a deeper motivation to start surrendering more of our lives to you that we'll hold on to less and less and we will change what you've asked us to so that we can know you in a deeper way lord i love you and it's in your son's name we pray amen um, christ set the example he set the example of what it, it means to walk in love with how he lived in this world. He surrendered his life on the cross. He submitted to God the Father to have a relationship with us. So we're going to pause in this moment and we're going to say thank you. And what I want you to do in this moment as you're just spending some time alone with Christ is ask him to reveal to you what area of your life you need to surrender this is a lifelong journey. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's not just a decision you make once when you're baptized and then everything's perfect and peachy and you're the, the, just a perfectly formed disciple after that. It's, it's a journey. And so ask Christ in this moment just to speak to your soul of what area needs to be your focus for the next little bit. What area you need to keep surrendering every day until he has it. We're going to pause and let Christ speak to your soul this moment after a time of reflection and after you've heard from him, then go ahead and take communion on your own. The bread representing the body of Christ broken for us and the cup representing his blood shed for us. If you'd like prayer, if you'd like to talk to someone about any of it, I'm going to be down here and other people from our prayer team will be at the prayer wall in the back. And we would love to have a conversation with you.
Father God, I am so grateful for the way that your spirit speaks to my spirit, the way you speak to us through your word, but also through our spirit. And God, I just pray that you impress on my heart and the heart of everyone here and listening online ways that we can surrender to you more today. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, as we surrender more, we will know you more in ways that we could never know you before. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.